All right, y'all, it's spring, and you know what that means. It's time to start planning our summer festival traveling. Yep, it's time to get into my Airbnb bag cross-country, a.k.a. uh, time to visit my homes all across the country. And you know what I never think about? Why not list my own spot on Airbnb and host some folks at my house? I mean, my house is cute. Yes, let's make money while we're spending money. Just trying to help you out, man, because your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Questlove Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. Ladies and gentlemen, this is another QLS Classic Demonstrating that all heroes don't necessarily wear capes 24-7. For the last 30 years, the legendary D-Nice has been secretly the coolest cat in the room. A lot of us are just hearing about him, but the man has history. As a photographer, as an MC, as a member of the legendary Boogie Down Productions, and especially now as your favorite homeschool DJ. So now's your chance to get to know the man, one they simply call D-Nice. Suprema, su, su, Suprema Roll Call. 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 Hello, Supreme Fam. Yeah. Quest Lovers Flock. Yeah. Yo, what up, D Nice? Fontes in the building. Yeah. I'm willing and able. Yeah. Compared to me. Yeah. Y'all just crumbs on the table. I hate you, Fontes. Suprema. They call me sugar. Yeah. They call me spice. Yeah. They call me everything. Yeah. But Dean Nice. Roll call. Suprema. People be mad. Suprema. Roll call. Why is mad? Suprema. Roll call. I hate Fonte. Yeah. He stole what I write. Yeah. So I'm just going to say. Yeah. What up, D Nice? Wait a minute. Way to save face. That was not bad. Roll call. He took my joint. Suprema roll call. I'm on paid bill. Yeah. Starting to drag. Yeah. Just can't take it. Yeah. Jet lag. Roll call. Hey. Suprema. Well, you just came Sup- off the plane. Suprema roll call. Suprema. Suprema roll call. My name's Laia. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. That finest over there, though? Yeah. His name's D Nice. Roll call. Suprema. Suprema roll call. Rockets taking it. Suprema roll 
I don't know what to say. Yeah. I haven't written a rhyme. Yeah. Since back in the day. Roll call. Let's go. Suprema. Say, say. Suprema. Roll call. Suprema. Suprema. Roll call. Suprema. Suprema. Roll call. Suprema. Suprema. Roll call. All right, Boss Bill, with the with the field goal, <laughs> yeah, yeah. with the field goal, with one second left, hey. wow. half point, half court buzzer beat. Yes, no one had, no one had, no one had a twenty five to life reference. I was going to do that. That's See, why I went for crumbs on the table. I didn't touch. <laughs> call didn't me touch D nice. I was like, let me leave. Call me D nice because someone else is going to do it. <laughs> right. So then I was like, okay, crumbs on the table. All right, I don't think nobody do that one. And lo and behold, you called me with the Scott like, oh, Rock though. I wasn't. I was, what was your one? It was that. literally almost the exact same shit. Like I tell no fables compared to Boss Bill. Y'all just crumbs on the table. <laughs> oh God! Great mind. Well, ladies and gentlemen, awesome. welcome to another episode of Questlove Supreme. I'm Questlove. There's Team Supreme in the house. Hello, guys. Yeah. Um, our guest today. Uh, was 16 when he entered the game back in 1980-something, and I believe that he's 17-some 30 years later. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks to that early morning drinking. (laughs) (laughs) QLS Coffee, brought to you by QLS Coffee. (laughs) Coffee. I'm just saying that out, out of anything that he's done in history, I'm more curious about how you've yet to age in hip hop, but um, he he's a hip hop legend. He's part of he was part of the uh, the legendary Boogie Down Productions uh, crew from the South Bronx that really literally changed the face of of, of hip hop and advanced it to uh, an intelligence level where nerds like us could participate and and engage in the culture. Um, and he's had the, the the craziest journey since i mean as a photographer as a dj as a producer and as a coffee maker apparently <laughs> ladies and gentlemen welcome to quest love supreme d nice yes sir yes thank you for having me taking out you suckers and you don't know how i did yeah. so how did you take out those suckers uh d- <laughs> <laughs> i still don't know how i did it man. <laughs> yeah. uh yeah uh, uh, side note um d nice has Half of us in this room engaging in uh, Questlove Supreme coffee, yeah, which is uh, it's very nice. It's coffee and the anti thug passion. Coffee and Ciroc. Yes, neo soul thug passion. Thank you, brother. Black Lives Matter thug passion. Black Lives Matter. Yo, that's hilarious. Shout out to Diddy and uh, Alyssa brother for the Ciroc. Oh, wait, thank sorry. you. Yeah. Thank it's, you. It's Diddy in this room. I forgot. Oh, my fault. Shout out to my twin brother, Love. Brother Love. Brother Love. <laughs> brother Love. And Alyssa for this rock. Uh, how's it going? So you, you said you had a rough night last night? I had a rough night, man. What'd you do, man? So so it's crazy kind of being in this world where you... I, I met with an investor last night that offered me like a few million to open this business. Hey. So I went out to celebrate after that, and I celebrated a little too hard at, at a restaurant called Charlie Bird. I mean, I, I probably had like five bottles of wine... Nothing yeah. hard, but it was fantastic wine. The psalm just kept bringing. First of all, I sound mad nerdy. Like the psalm, nah, the psalm, psalm. You're, psalm. you're, you're yeah. in the house the psalm, of nerds right now. Yeah. The psalm brought out. I mean, everything was just amazing, man. So I'm re- I'm recovering from that right now. Congratulations Good for you. Yeah, yeah. No, so I'm super excited. He said that sentence like it happens all the time. You know, I met with some investors. No, but I'm saying, congr- well, that's what I was going to go to. How how many jobs do you have, man? Uh, man. <laughs> <laughs> 
the, here's the thing, man. Like coming into the hip hop back in in '86, I had no real role in BDP. You know, I I wasn't I wasn't a real MC at the time. I wasn't really producing at the time. And the one thing that Scott LaRock told me early on was, "Dude, you have to know how to do everything in this room in case something were to happen to one of us." So that's how I ended up becoming a DJ. That's how I learned up learned how to write rhymes. It was really because I had no real role, so I tried to fit in and I did a little bit of everything. And to this day, I just feel like I can do anything, you know. So in terms of like businesses, you know, I'm trying not even trying. I'm I'm about to open a club, yeah. you know. Um, working on that now. Um, you know, the DJing takes me all over the world. Obviously, photography has been great to me. You know, I've shot campaigns. I've done America's Next Top Model. Hennessy campaigns with with this guy over here, you know, you know, and and it's just oh yeah, great. I forgot. <laughs> He's like, who? wait, I was looking around like, who are you talking to? <laughs> you know, but I I just I love being creative. That's it. I love being creative. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I I know you, but I never ever nerded out because I knew I was going to get you on the show one day, and you know. I have so many questions about just your your journey, your entry into hip hop, and 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 all those things. First of all, where where were you born? Can I assume that you were born in the I was South? I was no no no. I was actually born in New York. Um, Damn, I was born in Harlem Hospital, South New York. So <laughs> yes. How come so, people that come on the show that represent a city and they're just they're, they're never born from that city? We're, we're never. <laughs> they don't represent that. No, I wish I was born in the Bronx, but no. My heart is always there, but I was born in Manhattan in Harlem Hospital, but raised in the Bronx. And I, and the funny thing is, I wasn't even raised in the South Bronx. <laughs> <laughs> so, what part of the Bronx were? Well, I'm assuming when I say you guys, when I'm saying BDP, like what yeah. part of the Bronx? So, KRS was from Brooklyn, so he Wait, wasn't what? really from the Bronx. Yeah, Marley didn't Marley. Yeah, Marley KRS, yeah. KRS was from Brooklyn, so. South Bronx actually represented where he lived at the time. He lived in the men's shelter. Uh, and uh, DJ Scott LaRock was a social worker there. KRS, you know, his name wasn't KRS. He was bed number 5766, whatever. <laughs> but no, he lived there. And my cousin was a security guard um, at the uh, shelter, uh, men's shelter, Franklin's men's shelter in the Bronx. So when they talk about, or not even they, when we talk about South Bronx, it really represented that particular area, really where Scott lived. And, um, and I, I was a part of the group because, I, you know, back in the day, uh, when you say how many jobs, like, I loved cooking growing up. Mm -hmm. And one day, this is really how it happened. I was, I was cooking something for my cousin and brought it over to the shelter. And then he introduced me to Scott LaRock. And Scott looked at me and said, you're going to be in my group. Just like that. Hmm? Dead ass serious. He was like, you're going to be in our group. You had no, he had no, no. clue of what. The very first day that I met him. He wanted you to cook, maybe with, for the group? <laughs> <laughs> Probably. No, but yeah, that's, it's crazy. When I think about it, man, it's, it's insane. Like, what was your musical experience prior to that? Like, were you at I, least I, observing I, what hip-hop was becoming back in the 80s? Like, were you at park jams? Any of those things? Or was that, like, after your time? No, no, no. I was always into music, but oddly enough, it wasn't hip-hop. So I grew up... Which, you know, and I'm, and I'm not just saying this because you're here, but I grew up listening to just soul music. So when I hear that in a party to this day, it's actually the reason why I DJ. Mm -hmm. I grew up listening to, you know, just a lot of James Brown stuff, like Melba Moore, like everything in the 70s was like, that was my era. Mm -hmm. And 
the first hip hop record I fell in love with wasn't even like a full on record. I remember walking by a laundromat and someone was playing like Pebbly Pool. Mm -hmm. So that was like the first time that I like really fell in love with hip hop because she was, it was like on an old mixtape and she was rhyming and, and, you know, and I knew like, man, I want to be involved with it. And, um, but yeah, so that was my music really started with 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 hip-hop with krs like that was you know outside of the pebbly poo stuff i never wanted to rap until i met them until i met scott and krs wow that's okay well so then how did it become like you know you you're in the group until you know you actually you guys doing things and like how do they develop as a as a band so, First of all, who's in BDP? So there was the group Boogie Down Productions, which was it consisted of KRS-One, Scott LaRock, and myself. Then in the crew, you know, how you have a crew of people just roll with you. There was always, you know, Miss Melody, uh, Mick Boo, a gentleman we called RoboCop, uh, Manager Mo. In um, I see you. I see you. I am still number one. Shout shout out. Out. I you yeah, I should have just fucking did the uh, I see you. Should have did the intro to that us, record, right. but but yeah, no. But that was like Willie D. That was the core of the crew. Um, but in in terms of making records and producing in the studio, it was just KRS, Scott, and I. That was it. Okay, so uh, I guess uh, could you? Could you tell me of, of of just the genesis of like the first album that you guys made together and yeah no so there are a few things to talk about with the the criminal minded album um, the only song that I actually worked on with the group was South Bronx and South Bronx was done by mainly by Scott LaRock mm -hmm. and that was my first time being in the studio we were at a sixteen track studio in Queens Wait, can I add something mm -hmm. uh, that was the most evil intro of all time and I always tease you about this because I know that you were you know obviously you were like all right you give us a shout out but your 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 intro yo what's up Scott LaRock <laughs> like it was just like we always as a kid me and my friends were always like yo D-Nice is a villain, man. Like, <laughs> like we, we had this image of you being like a snidely whiplash from, from the cartel. Oh, meanwhile, meanwhile, I was this skinny kid. <laughs> no, you just got to hear like, yo, what's, what's up, up, Scott LaRock? Like, yeah. just gritted teeth. I was like, oh, he must be the bodyguard. Yeah. Oh, shit. Oh, wow. He was the awesome. boss. Yeah. Definitely. I think Karis probably would have preferred me being the bodyguard than anything. <laughs> you know, um, but no, when we made Criminal Minded, like uh, like I said, I only worked on that one particular song with Scott. You know, and um, and that was my first time in the studio, first time sampling, like anything. You know, that was that was a, a fantastic moment for me, and uh, and doing the chorus, of course. And the funny thing about South Bronx is I didn't even have a rap name. Oh, wow. it, I didn't have a rap name until the end of the song. Like literally, I told him to call me D Ice, and he accidentally <laughs> called D me D Nice. D -Nice. <laughs> Dead serious. It wow. was literally like, "Are you going to be Dice?" I was going to be Dice <laughs> <laughs> instead of Denise. So, <laughs> so wow. uh, with with the South Bronx, I've I've heard stories of what what was the involvement with said G or Paul C at the time, like. Cause I I've heard Said G say, "Hey, I co-produced 
criminal minded. I've heard Paul sees people saying that, well, I provided the drum patches that said G had that. I mean, just at the time, were those guys around or? It's the Paul C thing. This is new to me. Okay. You know, I met Paul, you know, shortly before he passed. I didn't know him like that. And he was never in any of the sessions that I was a part of. Okay. Um, Said, so here's the thing, man. Like, as you know, bro, like a lot of, and and this is no disrespect to Said because Said was truly there and Said I know what revisionism is in hip hop, especially with the legends. So Yeah, you know, like he definitely did drum programming, but sometimes people mix producing with programming a drum beat. Right. You know, and said did a lot of programming. A lot of the stuff was used, you know, a lot of his gear was used to produce those records. But I wouldn't say he produced Criminal Minded. I wouldn't say that. And I don't think KRS would say that. Did he program a lot of it? Yes. But, you know, he, you know, wasn't, he didn't do the bridges over. I, I was there with South Bronx. I was there with, you know, a lot of those records. I uh, think for some reason, like, I don't know where the, like, because in the real world, Make quote making the beat is just arranging. Yes, right, but not in hip hop. Like I've heard, you know, you on the off the wall masters, you hear Rod Temperton giving people like instructions. All right, guys, you play this man on the count of three. One, two, three. So obviously, Rod, you know, if it were in hip hop terms, then Rod Temperton would get credit for three songs because like you hear him. He made the giving beat, instructions right. right. And I don't know how. I guess with producing, it's like you have to oversee the entire project and decide what's good and what's you know bad. But I, it doesn't work that way in hip hop, though. I don't think hip hop is just you think producer, you think beat maker, and you don't really give consideration to the person that may have actually brought the song to completion. You know right. what I'm saying? And I mean, isn't in the quote unquote real world the producer handles the budget, the booking the studio, and you know hiring all the musicians yeah. and. Executive producer like the overseer. Right? The, yeah, you like the executive producer, though, right? Like, that's more. No, exactly. That's more on the label side. Depends on the genre, I think. This True. is fascinating. It's like class. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I mean, because I mean, you put I out more my, than all of us. So, well, no, no, no. I mean, I consider myself a producer, mm-hmm. but you know, I only see it. I only take it to the fifty-yard line because I hate doing vocals. I don't. The, as we all know. You always say that. But even with that, I don't even think you necessarily have to do vocals to be a producer. I think you're more so, the producer's the person that gets the final say. So if you get Steve or whoever to cut vocals, and then at the end you come in and say, okay, that's the one, then that's it. You Yeah, but at the end of the vocals. day, like I might not give Steve like producer's credit for sitting there for nine hours and figuring out Ooh. what's the... Wait, it, we're Whoa. not starting to fight like you. Oh, 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 <laughs> I want credit. Out loud thought. I'm sorry. Okay. Hypothetically, you've yeah. gotten credit on stuff. Look, I mean, I, but I can, can settle this. In, in hip hop, so. producing is known as bringing the beat, making the beat, and then you got a producer for maybe the whole album to produce the album. But each song is produced by whoever made the beat. In rock music, other music, the producer is is the producer of the whole project, the album, all the songs. And he may you not know, have played he, one he, note. He, he may not have written anything. Yeah. You know, he's wow. produced. Okay. That's that's the distinction. Okay. And there you have it. So continue, D-Nice. Or <laughs> <laughs> you know. No, I love this. This is great. <laughs> no, but like I said, no disrespect to said, man, but that, that record was produced by Scott LaRock, in oh. my opinion. So, at the, okay, well, since you were there for South Bronx, I always wanted to know, uh, being as though you guys were, okay, so that was done, I believe, October of 86? I remember the the last half of 86 South Bronx was done. Yes. 
you guys could have laid claim to the first people to use James Brown's funky drummer, but instead you just used the snare, like you you cut up yes. the individual drums. Like no one thought at the time, like, yo, this this is gonna be breakbeat gold. Why don't we just use the entire break? Or was it done on an SB twelve, which only holds like four seconds and it's done on an SB twelve. Damn. So okay. that's why you get just this just know, truncated the, part. Yeah, <laughs> the truncated part, dude. Yeah, and that's why there's a guy, because we use Funky Drummer. That's why there's a guy playing James Brown. The same guy that engineered the record is actually playing guitar, playing James right, Brown at exactly. the end of it. Yeah, yeah. Who engineered it? The same dude. I can't even tell you his name. name. Oh, okay. No, I couldn't even tell you his name. Man. So he did everything, and you don't remember his name. <laughs> no. We don't get credit for doing vocals. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> I mean, at least cut, a, cut, us a, cut us a check. Bill number one. I was 16 at the time. <laughs> so were you, were you round for the... Wait, I'm not Bill. I'm Sugar. <laughs> These are Bills over here. Oh, but, yeah. Bill I oh that's Bill Couch. Couch. I don't get paid either, so it's fine. <laughs> that's why he's unpaid. I think I'm going in my second glass. It'll <laughs> be time for that. Here, here. Let's start this up. I'm napping already. Thanks, Diddy. Brother love. Brother love. <laughs> um, so were you around for the first round of BDPism? The kind of we got to advance pre pre uh, That's twelve forty one. That was the twelve forty one was the name. Wait, of the what does group. that mean? That was the name of the that group. That was the name of the group, 1241. That I didn't know. Yes, yes, yes. That was the, the Fresh Prince kind of sound and yes, stuff? Yes, yes, <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> it sounded like a PSA, like Just Say No to Drug PSA <laughs> yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's what it sounded like. Yeah, 12, 1241 was the name of the group. When Scott was uh, DJing at Danceteria, like very old school New York club, he was a DJ there, and he used to go on at midnight, and then he told me the story of why, uh, you know, I don't really remember, but the name of the group was 1241, and I wasn't... One of the sessions I went to when I was just hanging out with Scott was to one of those records, um, Advance. We got to Advance. We got to Advance. That was like a Theo Huxtable type rap. It was horrible, man. (laughs) Which probably explains that's probably what, in my mind, that's what they played, Mr. Magic. No more music by the suckers. Didn't Biz tell us it was something else, though? Say it again. Biz told us it was something else. Oh, the song that he, they played yeah. for him. They played for Mr. Well, Magic. I have about, Didn't Biz tell us a lot of stuff? Biz did tell us a lot. <laughs> he of said stuff. a lot yeah, of things. Yeah. Well, no, no, no. Uh, there's like eight other songs. So, you know. I'm, I can tell you right now, none of the songs on Criminal Minded was played for Mr. Magic. Okay. Exactly. I, I can tell that, you that I for think sure. that prompted. I think it was Success is the Word. Success is the Word was 1241, and they probably played that yeah. song. But I know for sure I was in almost every one of those sessions. And I know those weren't the songs that was played for Magic at the time. So what was the difference, though? Because the eight songs that were kind of 1241-ish weren't that good. No. And then, you know, was it the anger of revenge that sparked them to, like, yo, we got to come with it? Or Because there's clearly a difference between, for for our listeners that that don't know, uh, the the legend of Boogie Down Productions, um, basically in in their... uh, their entry into the worlds, at least for us, um, the South Bronx and the Bridge is Over. All these songs are sort of heated responses to Mr. Magic, who scoffed at them in a yes. rude manner uh, when they played their demo for him. And I guess that anger prompted kind of a Joker-esque, way they get a load of me kind of response. But, I mean, the the music improved... Ten thousand percent. So, what was what? I always wanted to know what was the difference, 
or what happened in the creative process that turned the 1241 stuff, which wasn't good, to, you know, the blueprint of what hip-hop would follow for the next 20 years with... I know what it was um, in terms of production. And at the time, we would hear, like, there was this new wave of hip-hop coming in 86, 87. You had Eric B and Rakim, like, biz. But technically, you guys were first, so... But we, we heard those records, though. <clears throat> Even oh, though so we, before they came out, you heard we tapes knew, and demos? We, and... Yeah, we knew what was coming with Marley. Everything that Marley was doing was extremely important to to our evolution. Um, that's, that's why, like, even though we had this beef with the Juice Crew, the Juice Crew helped brand BDP in terms of, like, the sound, the samples. Marley had, you know, the bridge. Clearly, the bridge came out before South Bronx, you know? Mm -hmm. And that sound that he was doing was so hip-hop and so raw and, like, you know, and, you know, we kind of loved it. I remember being in the studio with Scott, and, and like I said, we were in this 16-track studio in, in, the, in the Queens, and even the way that he was like sampling these records was just different for me. You know, like I didn't know anything about being in the studio. And I, I know for sure that he wanted a record that would compete against the bridge. Like he wanted that. Totally. There was no lyrics for South Bronx. It was strictly about the way that record felt. Scott wanted to be able to compete with that. And he was thinking from like a DJ perspective. Not, you know, not to get all deep with it because it's not really that deep. It's when we were in that studio, I remember that's what he was playing and that's what he wanted to compete against. So, How long did it take to make? Were you guys South the Bronx? like 17 no, hour mix or was it like three hours and blam, let's run into the radio? I can real say quick. the entire album probably took. If it's 10 songs, I'm not lying to you, we, it was done, I mean, clearly you can hear it because this shit is old school, <laughs> but it was done in 10 sessions, wow. like 10 sessions to make, crim Criminal Minded was made for under $10,000, wow. for sure. Okay. Under 10 grand. South Bronx, we went in there, we did that song and at, and at this guy, we probably paid like $750 to make South Bronx. And he played on it and he engineered it, he did everything. Who, you know? who was the president of... Was it Rock Candy Records? So, B-Boy yeah. Records? So Rock Candy Records was, man, we can, can we really talk right now? Yo, bro? Dude, we're nerds. Listen, this is Rock, nerds. Rock Candy Records was a record company that started as they sold pillows. Remember the pillows they used to sell like on the corner, like the big stuffed pillows? Yeah. So they used to make the pillows, and they were all stuffed with like shredded <laughs> denim. <laughs> Not make, you know, yeah. denim. So... The table on the album cover of Criminal Minded was also a table used to make the porn because they used to shoot porn. Oh my as well. god! <laughs> wait, 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 they shot porn on the table. The table. What? Damn, I don't want no curls that, off that table. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> this company was definitely like they were a small record company called Rock Candy, but in there, wait, dude, and this, it gets better than that. There was like this Muslim dude. There was a Jewish guy. Who funded a lot of it? Always. <laughs> <laughs> Bagel boys. Right. But listen, they made they they made porn. I'm not making this up. Dude. Always. They sold pillows. <laughs> there's like I'm gonna send you the link to it. Like there's a a video of, of Scott La, Scott LaRock and I performing South Bronx. Chris couldn't make it. I, you I were was in a porn. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> no, not a porn. Video. But while we're performing South Bronx. 
you see these pillows on the side of us. <laughs> so, so they were trying so to use y'all to sell had, the pillows. We had an early merch deal. Wow. <laughs> what? We had an early endorsement deal. That was the first 360 deal. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, bro. Rock candy. Where they are now. You know Rock what they, candy. I wonder where they are now. That's interesting. A Muslim and a Jewish man coming together for such a you know, split black deal. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> We agree on this. Yes. Man, man. You serious? No, I'm dead serious, wow. bro. So that was Rock Candy, and then what was B Boy? Wait, wait. wait. Oh, we, gotta go, we gotta go further than Poor. that. So who made the 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 decision the deal to get with these guys? I mean, there's profile so, records. There's we couldn't get deals. I'm I'm telling you the real. <laughs> yes, dude. We're Chris nerds. could never tell you all of this yes, because he wasn't there. Yes. The real deal is Scott and I were walking down the street. We were like, I don't even. It's like on near like. Um, well, you're not from New York, so there's a uh, like an old courthouse on the Grand Concourse. Mm-hmm. We were in that area, and Scott saw he had this newspaper, and in the back of it, it had all of these companies. Okay. So Scott. We had no cell phones, none of that. Scott, it was Rock Candy Records, and he got their number from a, from a newspaper, like some industry like wow. newspaper. Called, set up a meeting. I was on the next phone talking to this chick, and this is and, and the importance of it. I know I'm going way advanced. Yes, go, yes, go, conversation. Go. We fall down rabbit holes. <laughs> so in that one that one particular moment of him being on the phone, setting up a meeting to meet with the Rock Candy people. I was on the phone just talking to just a friend of mine. I was 15 years old at the time. Just a I I so crazy, man. Like I just I didn't want to stand there not doing anything. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to be like, Look all right, well, if he's on the phone, yeah. I need <laughs> to get on the phone too. <laughs> and that conversation, well, in man. that moment of like talking to this young lady, nothing flirtatious, none of that. Her dude grabs the phone from her, like, hey, I know you're trying to talk to my girl. When I see you, I'm gonna kill you. Not making this up. In that one conversation where we worked out this meeting to get with Rock Rock Candy Records, I had this one conversation with this young lady. And the reason why I say I'm jumping the gun right now in this conversation is because that is the one conversation that I had with with her was the reason why I ended up having issues when we had records out with some random dude rolling up on me. Wow. That pulled the gun out on me. I had no idea why he was pulling the gun on me. Like, yo, you were trying to talk to my girl. I'm fucking kill you. And that ended up being the situation that I was in that cost Scott his life. Wow. So crazy. So both seeds were planted at that moment. In that very moment. Jeez. I never even talked about this. I never even thought about That's that heavy. until now. Wow. Yeah, yeah. In that very moment. Damn. Yeah. How you yeah. Wow. Uh, I'm sorry. I got to take a moment. Just yeah, real. Yeah, yeah. Just you got to see a therapist just for that moment. That's- Yo, what's up? This is Fonte, Fontigolo from Team Supreme. Black representation in media is very important to me. I think it's important to have our stories told by people who look like us and who have shared in our common experiences. Some of my earliest influences were Donnie Simpson, I would also say Tom Joyner, Angela Stribling, uh, Sherry Carter. They were just people who told our stories with a lot of class and dignity and were big inspirations to me. The next generation of influential black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the black experience itself. 
In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. From Bobby Shmurda to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations, there's no limit to the range of Black Stories, Black Truths. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now, they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcast, The Center Black Voices. It's NPR Noir. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get podcasts. All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, Well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Now, the, okay, oh, damn, now I feel like I'm going to ruin it with the nerve <laughs> right. moment. So back to the porn. Uh, <laughs> no, but you, but you also mentioned something else. You said Scott was DJing at Danceteria. Yes. Was he a legendary New York DJ by that time? or no, Not at all. He was but DJ- I know that D- Danceteria is a, a high reputation Nightclub. Jellybean Benitez was a, a DJ there. I know Madonna frequent there a lot. Yes. That's where uh, uh, the artist, uh, Basquiat. Basquiat and, Basquiat. And all this. Like, how did he get a gig at Dance Terry? So Scott used to DJ at a club uptown in New York called Broadway International. So Broadway International in New York City was kind of legendary, and it was one of the first clubs to allow people to just play hip-hop. So at Dance Terry, Scott was... He wasn't because, you know, early on, like people there was we had no specific genre of music that you wanted to just play. Like you played music. If it felt good, you played. That's why I know all of these records as a DJ now, Mm -hmm. because it it was just about the groove. So Scott was probably an opening DJ at a place like Danceteria. But at at um, Broadway International, he like that was like a night that he did. So they knew him from that. Um, But yeah, I mean, I was too young. to My first club. Ever like first time ever going to a club was um uh, Latin quarters. Oh, Here we go. It's been a while. Since I, you've had Dino, a Latin do you have a story about Latin quarters? <laughs> I actually do. Get bro. the fuck out of town. <laughs> Would you like right. me to share one? They're, they're, <laughs> mo- they're mocking me because <laughs> they, think, they think I might have. We don't believe it. What so fucking? <laughs> they think that I have a Latin quarter fetish, but I know that history was made at the Latin quarter. That's why I purposely. Didn't mention the L word. Because you knew he was going to say it. Because <laughs> I know, I, we know we're going to go there, so it's cool, you know. The Latin quarters, man. We're going to need so, a, Wait, a this is, song. all right, so I have a question. In reflection, 
Have you been to any of these gigs with 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 uh, with Scott as a with DJ? Scott as a DJ? No, no, never. You were I, too young. I was. I didn't know him at the time. Oh, okay, cool. So by the time I met Scott, and he'd stop. Yeah, it, it was strictly focusing on making the BDP records. And what's the age difference, real quick, between you and Scott at the time? He's still eight, seventeen. Eight, yeah, I was. No, I was. I was fifteen when we met, and oh. Scott was probably like twenty five. Oh, well, well, he passed at twenty five, so Scott was twenty four at the time. Mm. So yeah, he's only eight. Okay, he was a kid, which is so crazy. Like a year though, that's just crazy too, because you're basically saying you met him a year. Uh, yeah, I was involved in his life for one year. Y'all did a lot, yeah. and he changed your life. Yeah. Changed my life, man. I, you know, wow. I don't know where I would have been without DJ Scott LaRock. Mm-hmm. He probably yeah. still with you. No, for sure. Yes. So, getting to the record labels, like Rock Candy was the first one you guys chose, and. Well, I'm certain that it was a a, a low end deal because it's you know because they had pillows. They got pillows to say. <laughs> yeah, we got, that was an event. <laughs> Our event was a couple of throw pillows. No, it was it was a. Uh, uh, or was the artillery at least real on the cover of the album? No, or? no, that was real. Oh, okay. no, that was that. That That's was real. Said, that was nerf of me. All that no, stuff no, was no, nerf no. and water the, guns. The guns on that cover and also the Uzi on uh. Or the Bible means necessary. Yeah, yeah, that that was real. But we ain't gonna say where where it came from. No, it just appeared. It just appeared. Okay, yeah, yeah. I don't want to know that that much. I mean, I thought (laughs) the statute of limitations. So once these songs are made, um, what is the testing ground to see, like, how do things go viral at that point? The testing in 1986. How do things go viral? So, in New York City was it like in Park Jams in specific was like. If you tested your record at a park jam and if people were rocking to it, that was it. Now, there are two moments that I clearly remember. One was Scott and I, back in the day, you know, before MP3s, they, they would have um, um, what's known as an acetate. Yeah, and a plate, just like Yeah, we just had, person. we had like 12 of them, 12 to 15 of them pressed up. And matter of fact, it was like we went from Tom Coyne, like Tom, mm-hmm. wow. I know, I've known, man, we can talk music, bro. <laughs> Tom was like... Every record that we we ever recorded was done by that dude. He mastered it. Everything. The legendary Amazing. Tom Corn. Legendary Tom Sterling Corn. sound, right? That was his Sterling, yeah. man. Like mastered everything. From the South Bronx to Hamilton. To, that's yeah. right. Oh, that's man. so crazy. Yeah. But we went from like we had these plates done at a place on Forty Second Street. I can't even remember the name of it, but we Scott and I would walk around to like park jams and play the records. And I remember performing South Bronx and. All I ever said on that record was, yo, what's up, Scott LaRock? That's it. <laughs> but we would go to park jams, and because Chris lived in Brooklyn at the time, actually, no, he didn't live in Brooklyn. He lived in the... In, you know, in the men's shelter? No. He lived in the in the refrigerator, in the freezer what? of Rock Candy Records. So... Wait a minute. Yo. Rock Candy Records might need an ESPN 30 for 30. <laughs> yeah. 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 Right? Yeah. Them niggas, bro. We got tall. We got niggas sleeping in freezers. Dude, wait. I'm not making this up. Chris and Miss Melody. Damn, I'm going back. I'm sorry about this, bro. But this, this, dude, we live for this. Supreme got me thinking about. We live for this. This is your home. This is what it's for. So, what we made South Bronx in the same studio or the same office that they made the porn, and we shot the album cover. Downstairs, it was like this. A, a warehouse that that the office was housed in on um on in like the Cypress area of the Bronx. Okay. 
with Sue's, Sue's no, not Sue's Rendezvous. What's the other the other strip club? Well, you know what I'm saying. I don't. Yeah, There's a lot of foolishness going on on over there. Mm-hmm. Anyway, downstairs there was a freezer in the garage. So you know, like if it's like if you it was a place where you house like food. Yeah, you back the truck in or dead bodies or dead the, bodies <laughs> the in sopranos. the freezer. That's where Kara's live with Miss Melody. Now, what's crazy about this is, you know, the rolling paper. Like when you're doing like big shipping, you use the rolling paper. Okay, you have it, rolling. Okay. So we laid <laughs> that heads. down as carpet. Oh my <laughs> Put god! Put their bed in there, and that's where they lived. And Chris had to be home at a certain hour before they closed, because once you were in, Shelter. that's when they locked it up. This I'm telling BDP. We had a bathroom though. They didn't have one. No, once you're in, you're in. Melody, so you're in got... the freezer. They just... lived in the freezer. Wow. When you get them on. So wait, at a, men's, at a men's shelter, it's strictly to sleep in overnight. Yes. So you have to be in a certain time. And then in the morning, what time is it let out? So in the morning, I mean, I never lived in the men's shelter. I just want to make that I'm clear. I'm certain that you know the <laughs> schedule. But no, in the morning, they had to get up, you know, 7 a.m. and get out, try to find a job, find do job, whatever. Yeah. And then they had to be in at a certain time. So in the men's shelter, it was like KRS, Just Ice. Um, ICU lived there. Scott LaRock was the social worker. Uh, manager Mo, who, um, you know, still one of my best friends and managed our group, was a security guard there. Mm-hmm. So that men's shelter was, was extremely port- important to, like, early hip-hop. Did they not have families or, like, what? I, um, I'm, I'm certain that I know that the conditions in the Bronx were, di- uh, like, in dire straits, but was it just because they didn't have family issues or... I don't know what Chris's situation was um, and why he was in the men's shelter. Um, you know, I couldn't tell you why, you know, I didn't meet Kenny Parker until maybe like when we did. Um, Jack of Spades. So it was around that album. Okay. So Jack of Spades came out. That was when we, that was 80. No, no, it was, was 89. No, no, no. It was like 88. 88. Because okay, yeah. it's, it's super amazing to me that. Uh, like just in general, like we're so dismissive of the home of the of the homeless that they're damn near invisible to us in society. Because I think a lot of us yeah. fear that that you know a lot of us are you know you two checks away two, from that. Two, two, yeah, so it's like it's hard to look at in the, you know to look them in the eye and and deal with it. But it's like I'm more amazed that in general people didn't scoff and just be like, eh, you know, like you're homeless, like. But this is the future of music in in this situation. Yeah. So it's amazing to me how they pulled themselves out of their position. But isn't it amazing, too, that Scott LaRock was like a social worker already? At 24. At 24 years <laughs> yeah, 24 old, too, on the flip side. Worker. like that's- I, And actually, I want to I take something back. Just I, I don't think Just Ice lived there. Just was friends. I want to clear that up. Okay. Just oh, I was thought they friends were brothers. with K-Rest. Okay. I thought they were But brothers. ICU definitely lived there. Hmm. Chris definitely lived there. You know, and, and they're uh, how old at the time? Chris was pretty much the same age as Scott, so yeah, Chris was wow. roughly around twenty three, twenty four years old. Man. Yeah, man, yeah. And I mean, we that's off to to them for changing their situation around. Yeah, to go from sleeping in the freezer to having a recording career. That also, makes so how amazing. were they able to learn? Because let's not forget they changed hip hop. So how were they able to learn technology and? I have these records. Like most of us have the the comfort of, oh yeah, my mom and dad have these records in our home. Like the, like so. Remember, what are the resources they have to know to to change things? Remember, Scott 
was the social worker. Okay, so Scott's situation so Scott was went great. to, you know, he was college educated. He went to school in Vermont. Like, Scott was always... Wait, he was? Yes, yes. He went to, uh, I can't remember which school, but he went to school his, He went to school in Vermont. Scott was a straight nerd. Like, he would be sitting here doing this podcast with you. Oh, wow. Like, he was a straight up nerd was back then, bro. Like What? But he was a nerd dude that loved music, that loved hip hop. And um, listen. I never heard of an interview. I let mean, me, I, let me tell you, man. Let me, I'll tell you how much I love Scott. He was a nerd, but we also, anytime something happened, we would figure it out. So I'll give you, I'll give you a funny story, right? Mm-hmm. First time I ever been on a plane after South Bronx was out was our very first show was in Rochester, New York. WDKX, so in Super Hole. WDKS yeah. is DK ah. Sex. So in, oh, no. So, <laughs> oh, so we went, we, we were doing a show in Rochester. South Bronx was the only record we had out. Dude, this is crazy. So we, we went, we had no place to stay. It was a one-way ticket. Didn't have a flight back. We were going to do this show, and it was great. Mm-hmm. I lost my virginity at this show. <laughs> I'm not making something <laughs> show is extremely important. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you remember it so well. Clearly. What is this chapter going to be called, Bill? <laughs> this is, I'll figure it out. Rochester. Rochester. <laughs> That's it. Cotchester. No. Cotchester. That's it. That's it. That's it. <laughs> so, so we went, we went to the show. We performed. We didn't have a hotel room. So the guy that brought us up, his name was Scotty. I remember this, man. Like, it's crazy. So Scotty, I can't remember his sister's name, but I lost my virginity to it. But... Oh, 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 oh. His real. name was Thotty. Yeah. <laughs> Damn, Fonte, you on a roll. <laughs> so, wait, oh. so, so, oh. so what's crazy is Scott, we flew into um, Rochester and he brought a young lady with us. So it was, it was Kara, Scott LaRock, myself, and this young lady. And we... The guy that brought, produced the show brought us, he asked us to stay at his house. So in the middle of the night, not me, yo, this is crazy. In the middle of the night, his mom woke up. She was super Christian. No. And, when she, and when she found out that there was a young lady staying with us, yo, she walked around the house and she had like the holy water and oh. she was putting crosses on our heads. And she, Wait, what? And, and she told us to get out of her house. And what? only the young lady could stay. So... We had no place to go. We had no money. It's me, Scott, and KRS. Dude, we broke into like a Motel 6. <laughs> oh, what? <God. laughs> we broke into a Motel 6. And we, the three of us stayed in this one room. Scott slept in the bed. Kara slept on the floor. I slept on the desk. But we knew we wow. had to get out of the room before, before, before they came. To before housekeeping came. So we How left. How did you get in the room? Like literally Bro, it was a Motel 6, so out, you know. Uh, you know I thought you I, crashed the windows to. No, no, no. Like, kick through the door <sighs> to stay in. The... <laughs> no, not crash the windows, kick <laughs> through the door. <laughs> Yo, man, I think y'all, y'all, y'all went through the fire to make my life easy. It's crazy. The social yeah. worker, the 15 year old, and the, I can't. Because no, in crazy. my head, I'm like, did you guys have tour support? Did you? Yeah, tour support. Hell no. I slept on a We didn't desk, have a tech rider. We didn't have any of that. <laughs> no, so, so the, the story gets better, though. <laughs> so after breaking into this hotel room, we f- we left like five or six in the morning and we fell asleep on these steps and it was the steps of a school. And I swear to you, the three of us woke up to like these little kids throwing candy at us. Like, <laughs> <laughs> wake up. Wow. What? Yeah, wake up. It's 
crazy. And what'd you say you did last night? You said you (laughs) broke it a million dollars. Okay, just man, you come a long way. The Mm. psalm, the psalm came and Mm. hooked him up. The psalm, the psalm, the psalm. psalm. Throwing candy at him. (laughs) Five thousand dollar balls. Okay, not a bad life. (laughs) How did you guys organize shows in those early days when you didn't have, uh, you know, a, a a ten song catalog to perform for the audience when you only had. Three songs. Like, would you just go back and forth on Big Beat for 20 minutes or somebody say ho? Or Like, how did you – you only had a little bit of vegetable and, and, and meat, but you needed a lot of broth. Like, what was a, a, a show back then for 20 minutes? I'm sorry. That was a good was soup reference. Yeah. <laughs> it was either sports or – That was a food. solid soup metaphor and a first of many. Please continue. <laughs> we – um no, there – we didn't do a lot of freestyle stuff at all. You like, just do your one song and that's it? it? Was, yeah, we did the one. Well, we always had two songs. So we had South Bronx and the P is Free. So that was my involvement. So I was. That's right. You're the TR808. Yeah, I was doing the beatbox on the P is Free. It was my first time in prop. No, no. First and I think the second time beatboxing was on. Uh, uh, so I'm no Rozelle, by the way. No Rozelle. <laughs> no Rozelle. I've only beatboxed on two records P is Free and um, on a. The uh, By All Means Necessary album, there was a song where- Oh, Breath Control. Breath Control. Control. That's was you? That, was that By All Means Necessary? Uh, Blue, it, Blueprint. That was on the Blueprint. Blueprint. Yeah, I worked- yeah, that, that is me. you. Yeah, yes. Woo, that was my shit. Damn. Blueprint, yeah, that nice, was, nice, nice. That was me with the sample. You know yeah. what sample that is, right? Uh, Well, he starts with Ray Charles and then- Is that Duke Ellington? No, no. The beat is- um, Bitch, you ain't guess it. Oh, my gosh. It's Hey Jude. Who did Hey Jude? Not uh, the Beatles. Beatles? Not the Beatles version. Yeah. The oh, Wheeler the uh, version. Um, the soul version. Clarence Wheeler? Not Clarence Wheeler. The Hundred Street. Hundred Street. What's his name? I will no, no. wait till the midnight hour. What's his name? Uh, Wilson, Wilson Pickett. Pickett. Wilson Pickett. That was yeah. Wilson Pickett's version. So I sampled it that. It is. Yeah, yeah. I sampled oh, the that. organ. The organ. Okay. Yeah. So that was yeah, That was the Wilson Pickett version of Hey Jude. Nice. Okay. Okay. So, okay, I, I got to get to the rivalry part. So, you know, are you guys, were, were there any meetings between, not meetings, uh, rivalries or, or whatever, between the Juice Crew and you guys after that initial meeting? Like, because New York hip-hop's community is small, so surely there has to be a run-in or two. So, with the Juice Crew... I don't know what happened before I I was involved with the group, so I you know I really part of South Bronx I didn't understand because I you know I wasn't there to experience that first meeting that mm-hmm. Karis and Scott had. Afterwards, my best friend was in the Juice Crew and still one of my best friends to Ooh. this day, Big Daddy Kane. So before I was any, about to say, y'all still used to give him shout outs. Yeah, Kane was always Kane was my dude. Like that was. I mean, he and KRS are, he, he actually helped KRS move into his first apartment. So even though we had this rivalry with the Juice Crew, it was more about records than anything. I mean, there was some animosity there. Because Did y'all talk about it at all? Or was it just no, like- no, we never had those conversations. Or at least I was never a part of those conversations. I don't know if Chris did with Magic or, but no, we, it was strictly about records. And so we, it was just Magic and Shan versus those guys and Yeah, because Marley, else. come on, you know, Marley worked with Chris, man. Like Marley was always- a good dude. And and the thing about me is, you know, back then and even now, man, I was always a lover of hip hop and producers. Like once I once I became involved with it, it's like I wanted to know everything about the culture. 
like everything. And when I met the players, you know, when I met Marley or when I met Dougie Fresh or like I was always a fan. So even though we made these records and bridges over, I was still a fan of those dudes. Like they walked into a room. I remember being in a club in the Bronx on Tremont Avenue and I was there by myself at this club. And I remember when the Juice Crew walked in, there was this swag about it. Like, you know, to see Shan walk in with Biz and TJ Swan and they're walking in to do a show. She was crazy to me. Like, as, even though we were competing against them. There's still they, respect there. Still, yeah, because yeah. they really had a crew. We didn't have a crew. It was Scott LaRock, KRS, and, and myself. I thought y'all rolled 10 billion deep. So <laughs> no. Based on that My Philosophy video, yeah, right. I was like, yo, y'all. So I couldn't even tell you who half of those people are. <laughs> <laughs> All fat fried Freddy's friends. Exactly. Um, so I got to go there. What? Give us. All right. There, there's a nightclub in, in Midtown Manhattan. <laughs> oh, yeah, we can. <laughs> I don't know if you heard about it, but it's called the Latin Quarter. I think I have. I've been there before, man. Uh, so for you, can you just give us a, a general synopsis of should reopen the Latin Quarter? Really? No, no. <laughs> like, or at least make a documentary about it. No, no, no. I, I, that's one of the docs I want to work on is, is, is on the Latin Quarter because it was such. First of all, I had no idea. It wasn't until 2000, like roughly around 2005, 2006, mm-hmm. I was at, you know, our, our, our buddy Chris Lighty's house and we were in the backyard playing basketball and we talked about the Latin Quarter. I had no idea that it was a juice bar. Like, <laughs> oh, wow. they served no alcohol. <laughs> Wait, what? Wait, what? Yeah. Listen, there was no alcohol served at our parties. Nobody has said this. No. Wait, during the hip hop era? During the hip hop era. When Y'all we weren't were getting perform- nice? No, that's... So when Chris said, yeah, it's crazy that it was a juice bar, I was like, what are you talking about? Because I was too young to drink. I was in there when I was like 15, 16. They served no alcohol. So all all that aggression was just dudes probably getting nice before the club and the way hip-hop made them feel. And when I tell you that this club was was everything, this was the mecca of hip-hop at the time, you know, like... Everything changed from this club. That was the first place we ever played South Bronx. That was the first time I ever heard Eric B. and Rakim. Matter of fact, it was the first time that I met Mike Tyson. So here's my Mike Tyson story. In, in the last <laughs> yes. yes. I'm for it. Two things together. Yeah. Yeah. Mike Tyson was a beast. We were all young. Young, dude. Like, so we walked. Was I remember, he Mike Tyson by this, this point? No, he was Mike Tyson, but he didn't have the belt. Yeah, the so belt, this was yeah. okay. 06. I mean, 06. What the more Too much of this Wait, goddamn Ciroc. This was 86. This was 86. So I remember walking into the restroom. Into the, damn, fuck, I'm, I'm a little nice right now. I'm a little bougie. So I walked into the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> I, walked in, I walked into the bathroom, and Mike Tyson was next to me taking a piss. Okay. This, is, this is real shit right here. Mike accidentally stepped on a dude's, stepped on his sneakers. Uh-oh. The oh, dude, no. The dude was like, yo, you stepped on my shoe, blah, blah, blah. And Mike hit him one time, <laughs> knocked Damn. the dude out in the bathroom, and then stepped over him to exit the bathroom. No lie. <laughs> my buddy manager Mo was there. He can tell you. No words. Like, he didn't say nothing Did to not him. say anything. You serious? Knocked this dude out. <laughs> 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 That's how you feel. And then stepped over him. 
we and walked out. We have another Mike Tyson punch somebody story. I swear to God, we have the Naomi Campbell story. Chris Rock, well, we have Naomi, Na- Naomi Campbell. Yeah. So I mean, you know. he, didn't punch, he, didn't, punch he didn't punch Naomi. Right? He, put he, her out he, out he kept her out the car. Oh right, right, right. That's he didn't punch it though. Did you know Heather Hunter? Because you know she lived at the Latin Quarter. We have a lot. I know. I've known Heather since back then. In the freezer. <laughs> yeah, since the freezer days. With the pillows. I don't know her in the freezer or with the pillows under her back. <laughs> I don't know any of that. None of that. None of that. You ever see that apartment? She says that looked like the Cotton Club and whatnot up there. That's what oh, she... at, in, in Dumbo? Or wait, no, no in, inside in, the Latin Quarter. She lived in the Latin Quarter. Oh, with David Copperfield? Wait, wait. David so, Copperfield lived in the Latin Quarter? So the guy who owned the guy who owned the Latin Quarter was a guy named Mike. I can't remember Mike's last name. But Mike managed David Copperfield back then. Wow. Mm-hmm. So he was making his money from, from that from and David probably some other things. Yeah. But no, for sure, he managed David Copperfield. That's funny. I remember. Wow. So every time I see David Copperfield's name in Vegas, I'm like, I could make it too. <laughs> <laughs> he was back in the Latin quarters. I could do this. Wow. Was Y'all he making shit disappear at the Latin quarter? Yeah, like I don't alcohol. know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Y'all got to make this doc happen. This no, that's crazy. Yeah. I didn't know you were obsessed with the Latin quarters, man. It was serious, I'm obsessed bro. with hip-hop history, but I'm more... I'm trying to figure out why, because of... Okay, it's one thing for you to be like a legend or in the industry and you roll with a lot of people. Like, if you're carrying Red Alerts records or something, you're kind of protected. You're in the DJ booth or whatever, but... I mean, it was to the point where people were coming from all walks of life to get in this club, and you know your chain could be Vic. You could be. Dude. It's like going to the prison yard. The jackets. But I'm everybody, saying. but everyone that sits and tells a Latin Quarter story has such romantic, oh, kind of oh, amazing stories. Like, but people are getting jacked and fucked up. Yeah, but when you're a part of it, you don't, you don't realize that you just got jacked and fucked up. You're like <laughs> just happy to be there. Like, is it? Do you know one person that just has a fuck Latin Quarter stories? Like, I got. My- I don't know anyone, and I'm telling you, I've seen a lot of shit happen in the Latin Quarters. Here's another story, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, we're in the Latin Quarters, and this is why. This shit being a juice bar is so crazy to me because I cannot <laughs> believe that everyone was fighting like this. Like it was sober. It was fighting like this sober, dude. Like there was a dude who worked at the front door. They called he had a doll made after him, like in the 80s. He was called Sun Man. If you wait, <laughs> what? The fuck? Yo. <laughs> Sun wait, Man. wait. He was like, he was one that of those. That was like a rejected that was literally built. <laughs> His whole body was like a Y. Like, and they called him Sun Man. Like, I'm not making this up. MC Search. You can ask Search. Mm-hmm. Search was there. Michael Rappaport was there. Like, what? this, listen. <laughs> he this, was bold enough to get go there? Michael Rappaport, Michael Rappaport was everywhere. Was everywhere. I'm not lying <laughs> to you, bro. I believe that. You know Michael you Rappaport it. is the truth. People I believe it. <laughs> people look at him sometimes. They're like, ah, you controversial. No, he was there. Right. Like, he was there. <laughs> all, the, all the shit he talks, I swear to you, Michael Rappaport was there. He was there. The one skinny, <laughs> skinny kid, skinny white search. kid in the middle of the hip hop party was Mike Rappaport. Yo, is this Sunman? Dude. Right here? Right here? Is that the doll? So that's the doll from back in the day. Oh, shit. That's, yo, the, the, the guy was, the, that is modeled after. <laughs> he I'm does sorry. like the letter Y. He's having a moment. You know, I'm so like the letter Y. Wait, you pulled up Sunman. Sunman. <laughs> <laughs> And what no. was Sun Man's special power? I don't even know. He blocked, he blocked the sun. Being the yeah. letter before Z. Like, <laughs> dude. Sun Man. Word. 
Sun Man. So what did he do? Yeah. So, what dude, so he was the guy. He was he was the security okay. back at the Latin Quarter. So he let certain people in. But anyway, so once we were inside, you you always felt safe, but not really because shit always went down. <laughs> <laughs> you thought you were safe because Sun Man was at the door. How many people were at the door? Man, I, I couldn't even tell. I do remember Sun Man. I remember Sun Man. God damn, I have his number in my phone. I don't even remember his real <laughs> oh, name. Wow. Oh, he's still alive. Good. No, he's okay. still alive. still a thing. No, but these dudes, I, I'm not me. <laughs> this is too much to rock, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Brother Love, I love you. Before <laughs> I can be extremely honest. <laughs> these dudes, if there was a fight going on in front of the Latin quarters, I swear to God, they would lift up the cars and move the cars. They were that strong. What? It was what? like oh, there was like four strength. dudes <laughs> that was at the door, and they weren't in full force. No, <laughs> they weren't in full force, but they weren't dressed like them. <laughs> <laughs> but they would re- like I swear to you, bro, like move cars. It was crazy. Yo, the Latin quarters by far the best experience I ever had in my life in terms of being in a club and just pure hip hop moments. There was a moment in the quarters, right, where yes. the Decepticons were fighting against the A team. Say, Wait, there was the A-team? Yeah, there was the I A-team. I heard the Decepticons. I never heard the yes. A-team. So they were all, they were a bunch of dancers that could fight well, but... <laughs> Yo. What? <laughs> That's the best line I've ever heard. A bunch of dancers so, who could fight well. So it's like, really? Beat it? Like, yeah. 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 I'm like, a dancer. Dance 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 totally. I'm, I'm a dancer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a dancer. They tied their arms together and did the whole thing. shit up here. Yeah, there were a bunch of dancers that could fight well. By the way, if you're still alive, no disrespect. <laughs> come to my shows. But no, this moment was so crazy. So we're in the club. I don't know why they started fighting. I just remember LL had his big Cool J ring. Oh. So you know the story. I've heard of this story, yes. So the story, I'm, I was there. I saw the fights happening. I was safely in the DJ booth with Red Alert. But Red Alert. <laughs> Listen, man, Red Alert is an OG. Chris Lighty, OGs. LL, you can say what you want about him licking his lips. That man is an OG. LL Cool J, OG, man. The fights happened. People were trying to, like, trying to rob LL pretty much. What? This was, I'm telling you, it was like the Wild Wild West, bro. So the lights were on. But with dancing. With Wild Wild West with dancing. Wow, 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 choreography. Yeah, it was like the beat video. Dude, it was crazy in all of these sections of people fighting. The Decepticons, the A-Team, and just regular party goers, and no one was drunk. It was a juice bar. Juice. <laughs> so everyone was fighting. I'm in the DJ booth like, yo, this is crazy. Like, this is crazy. Red Alert was trying to jump from the DJ booth because it was on the second level. Right. He was trying to jump out of the DJ booth because Chris Lighty was fighting. Oh, Chris shit. Lighty's fighting because Chris is trying to protect LL. And Chris used to carry Red Alert's records at the time. So Chris is fighting. Everyone's fighting. Scott LaRock and I are in the DJ booth. I don't know if KRS was there. I, I honestly don't know. But what I do know is this. Once, once the fighting stopped, LL had handled his. Word? What you... LL, I, you know, like, look, I'm telling with you. With his hat on? With, <laughs> with, with no his on. lips licked. Licking his lips. Shirt <laughs> sure. I'm going to knock but you out. No, he handled this, bro. Like, Chris Lighty was a beast. Like, for real, for real. Like, I've, no heard, that. I've heard that about Chris. I've heard Chris that. was a beast. Wow, Chris walked into the DJ booth, and I won't forget this moment. 
he kept saying, my back is burning, my back is burning. Oh, no. And he pulled his shirt off in front of Scott LaRocca and I in this DJ booth. And that was the first. I didn't know what razor blade slices oh. looked like. Oh. So when he pulled his shirt off and he, he bent his back, oh. everything just opened up. Oh. It's crazy. How it's crazy. many was it? Was it like Denzel and Gloria? Like, give me a, <laughs> like a, a sip of Ciroc real quick. <laughs> 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 wasn't quite like like glory like slave lashes. <laughs> so you're saying that weapons would still get inside of with Sun Man at the door. <laughs> Damn you, Sun Man! Like a Sun Man. <laughs> Can we get Sun Man on the phone. No, yo, that's crazy. crazy man. Uh, it's crazy. Ooh, I'm exhausted. That's crazy. She said I'm exhausted. Yeah, no, I've seen I've seen some things, man. Latin quarters, man. There should definitely be a documentary on Latin, on the Latin quarters, or at least like a fictionalized yeah, yeah. something, yeah, yeah something. something. A BET Tales, you know. <laughs> oh, <shit. laughs> Sorry, no. I say it deserves a <laughs> little. What's next? One special, that, but you know, a Lifetime Movie Network. No, definitely <laughs> Netflix. So biography. So Netflix already. The way that the way that it is today, where you know, unless you're a bona fide celebrity, i.e., you put a Drake song on, you know, oh, that's Drake, or uh, there's the new Migos or whatever. Maybe Cardi B has uh, at least a three or four second pass of playing untested material, and you knowing that's her voice, and so it's like, all right, we'll give that a chance, or you know, whatever, Kanye or. Whoever's winning at the moment. Yeah. But, you know, I hear that a lot of these songs were tested at the Latin Quarter and went off like gangbusters without people really knowing that, like, you know, these guys weren't celebrities. So it's like you're hearing you're hearing Rebel Without a Pause the first time, that. knowing that you didn't think too highly of Public Enemy's performance the year before, whenever they... First perform. Chuck said that they had a horrible performance at the Latin Quarter that really didn't go off well, and you know Mel was disrespected. But it's just wait, Mel disrespected them too. Oh, yeah. From Can what you give we me some Mel, Mel disrespect? Oh, yeah, Mel was like the heckler at the Latin Quarter. From what from different stories we've heard, like so he'd be in the back just dude, if he was whack. He'd why heard that Mel would try to skip the record in the DJ booth if he didn't like a particular act or. You know, crazy. I well, thought it was just BDP. I mean, because <laughs> I mean, by that point, Mel was what? He was like 32, 33. So it was like the new generation was, I mean, be like me trying to go to uh, One Oak right now. Like, yeah. You don't know me? If you are worried about what, you know what I mean? Wait, you want to hear something even crazier? You want to hear something even crazier? So now, if if it's an all-ages show where kids are there, and by kids, I mean like the kids of like whoever like our Real Roots fans are, like they bring the 12 or 13-year-old. Yo, motherfuckers think that we're now doing the Drake song. Oh, Drake. Oh, Drake's. Oh, my God. Like, my Drake track check is awesome. He, for what? For what? Uh, one of those songs, on if you're reading if this. you're reading this, okay. Shut me neither. I mean, oh. <laughs> <laughs> you got me is one of his hooks. Shut oh, okay, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Go. Okay. Like, he does it twice at the end, but when we do it, the look on their face is like, 
they doing Drake. They're doing Drake. Oh, like man. it's no, nah, that's good. It's that's no, great. Yeah. That's great. I mean, it's good, but it's just in, you just don't. It's just makes it's an error. Hey, it's an makes error. You, makes you feel old. Exactly. Right? Thank makes you. you feel old. <laughs> that's made me feel old. I wouldn't give a damn. They know the song. That's all. No, I mean, I don't get the check, so I just feel old by listening to the story. You know, that's what I felt. Yeah. Wow. Can you just sing the hook again? <laughs> Look, man, Quest Love Coffee is in full of. Get it. You sing it. If Shit's you getting real. Baby, baby. <laughs> if you are with you, baby. <laughs> I was just a young boy. Playing with my toes. I got to find the. Will we get back to the, Yo, the interview? Yeah, yeah. shall see. Oh, More stories for the next quarter. I'm sorry, we just needed a five heartbeat. We had a day dance. More coffee, please. More coffee. So why why did Mel come up to you guys to pick a battle? Was it because it was all about you guys, or you know? Yeah. Right now, Melly Mel, if you're listening, I love you. Back then, I looked at him. He was a straight hater. Yeah. Straight up hater. And and I'll tell you a story, brother. Tell me a story. And I remember this clearly because at the time I was mad at KRS and I was getting my first apartment and Don Lewis. I know this is different all world. Wow. Lewis. Yes. This is wow. all random. Wait a minute. Different world. Cosby people were coming to this. Yes, yes, yes. Don Lewis wow. was like my big sister. Dawn, I love you. Her brother leave. Where is she now? She's still making stuff. stuff. You know, she's still yeah. making stuff. And, you know, she she's, she's in LA. But no, Dawn, Dawn was not. That, this is why I, can, I remember these stories because of moments in my life where it was so important and pivotal moments. I had my first apartment when I was 16. I didn't have a bed. I used to sleep on these coats. Not lying. <laughs> I, used to, I had a one bedroom apartment, but I didn't have a bed. All I had was a stereo system. <laughs> Swear yeah, to God. That's all I wanted that's all you was to hear music. No, no bed. Not a sofa, not even a plate. Yeah, I had an right. apartment. <laughs> the apartment had like, you know, back in the day they used to glue the like the carpet to the floor. Mm. Oh it, wow! Just imagine no carpet and it was all half scraped. Oh, <laughs> like kind of sticking to it. So these are my memories of like that time. What part of New York? I was living in um in Washington Heights, uh, on Edgecombe Avenue, in like 163rd Street in Edgecombe. Mm. Right, right by the bridge going into the Bronx. Okay. So I remember that vividly and going to the quarters this one particular night. And this night that I went to the quarters, Melly Mel was there. Miss Melody was there. It was, you know, regular rap show with like a thousand people on stage that you don't really know. But everybody <laughs> just wants to be on stage. <laughs> you know, it's the rap shit. The posse. <laughs> <laughs> and Melly Mel said, fuck these niggas. Word. Fuck that shit. We had South Bronx out. So when KRS performs poetry, when he said, say something now, thought so, he did that rhyme that night before poetry was done. We only had South Bronx out. So Mel said what he said, and Chris was on the mic rhyming and doing poetry. So that's the one time of like freestyling that I personally remember where Chris was like, say something now and put the mic to Mel's face. And he said nothing. Kind of like when you asked me to rhyme mm. earlier without really asking me to rhyme. <laughs> and, and then he was like, thought so. And the crowd went crazy. That's the Melly Mel experience that I remember where I lost all respect for Mel. I was strictly, because even though I'm in a group, I'm like, KRS is the king. Whoa. His God raps damn, I'm will knocking destroy shit down. <laughs> but no, KRS was the king, bro. Like the king of disrespecting early on. 
So, so he, that was my Latin quarter He would just have these rhymes on standby. and He just had rhymes, man. I don't know. Outside of, out, out, literally outside of like Black Thought and Big Daddy Kane, I don't know anyone, and, and Tupac. Tupac had rhymes for fucking years. We'll still hear Tupac records when we're like 90. <laughs> brand new joints. But those dudes were, in my opinion, true MCs that was always prepared, always had something. They always had something Chris for you. told me, he, he showed me like a couple, of, he had at least four composition notebooks. Yes. And the last thing he left us with, the last thing he left us with, he says, hey, I even got a black thought disc. No, yeah, he, had he said disc. he would write disses for rappers. For every, like, yo, Chris would write, he's, he would have disc records so for everyone. So we laugh, he turned to the page, he had some paragraphs. <laughs> no, he's... He and was, it was like, he was like, some next movement. Like, he had... He had a, just in case. Yeah, I'm ready for you. Chris I always, KRS always had lyrics for every MC that was hot from Kane, everything. And Kane was our boy, but he was still in the Juice Crew. So Chris was always prepared to battle anyone, and that was something that I was never really. I didn't know about that any of that. You know, I made records because it was. I just love music. I wasn't prepared. I wasn't really prepared for that kind of MCing. You know. All right, y'all, you know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit Amfem.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. So talk to me about regrouping and the group's future after Scott passed. Like, at that time, was it just like, okay, but well... I guess that's it, no more, or was it like, we got to do this in Scott's memory? And No, it was like how, what, how What happened? So just to tell, you know, the QLS audience, Scott LaRock passed away coming to my aid. 
You know, I had an issue with a young, not even with a young lady, some random issue. It wasn't even an issue of my own. Scott came to my aid. And this is, this was so crazy, bro. Like, we're in the Bronx, Highbridge area of the Bronx. This is probably, I don't even remember the exact street, but we're in the Highbridge area of the Bronx, not too far from Yankee Stadium. That's where I grew up. We're in this area. I'm walking down the street, 8 o'clock in the morning. A group of people rolled up on me, had no idea who they were and had this beef with them where they pulled the gun out, smacked me with the pistol, and ran off. The first person that I called was Scott. I went to a payphone, called Scott, told him what happened. And Scott already had this crazy day of locking himself out, <laughs> locking himself, not laughing at his death at all, but locking himself out of his apartment and hanging a rope from a fire escape. <laughs> oh, damn, having to rappel down the yes, to his apartment to <laughs> climb into the window. It was just one of those days of like, you just had to be some diehard Yo, shit. back in the day in the Bronx, this is what you had to do, man. So that's why, that's why I'm like, man, this life is great. This life is great. So Scott, after having that situation, I called Scott up, and he the, the one thing he told me was, look, man, we don't need any issues. We don't need any issues. We need to squash this. Like, it needs to be done. I'm going to come over. We're going to find the people, make sure everything is cool. And our mission of peace was strictly about peace, until this one guy, this one guy that we had with us, we called him RoboCop. So he was the original guy, not the one KRS mentions on, like I'm still number one, but he was the original guy that we worked with. He w- he also was like a security guard at the Latin Quarters. But what we didn't know was that he was the East Side Rapist. <laughs> Wait, oh, what? Oh, God. God. <laughs> Yo, what? Wait, I know this sounds crazy. Oh, shit. The Wait, detours. why are you turning around? Like, <laughs> I, 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 I don't know what to do. I just got nervous. I don't know. He was the East Side Rapist. So later on, if you Google him, East Side Rapist, New York, Daryl was his name. I'm afraid to. <laughs> how many Vicks he got? I know he's doing it right now. <laughs> how many, I don't even know how many Vicks he got under the I don't know. Okay. It, it, it was, wow. Like he, <laughs> but anyway, so this guy was a hothead dude, you know, and... So the mission of peace of like going to the Bronx to find these guys that that rolled up on me became a mission of like we're looking for trouble only because of this one person. So he we were at the projects, Highbridge projects in the Bronx. We were we were on one side of the street. Uh, K7 was there before he was K7. He was in another group before that. TKA. TKA. Yeah. So he was around there like. We were, I remember this, it was one, one way street, we were parked on the right hand, right hand side, the projects were on the left, mm-hmm. it's still that's rock talking, so if I slur a little bit, please it's forgive me, but anyway, Scott and I were, it was me, Scott, Manager Mo, Mick Boo, and the guy we call RoboCop, so RoboCop went to ask one gentleman, hey, we're looking for blah, 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 we didn't hear the conversation, but all we saw was whatever this dude said to him, angered him and he picked and in he was like a six four six five dude picked this young kid up and just slammed him now mm. which was that was a, a crazy moment because if if it, it wasn't all about peace for them at that point yeah. to us it was like we were coming to just make sure we had no issues but in that moment those kids were like this is it's on it's on yeah and while we were standing there maybe 30 minutes later we were, we were standing out there and all of a sudden, shots rang. For 30 minutes? No. I mean, you were just... 30 we were there for 30 minutes. like After in, the fact. After the fact. And all of a sudden, shots came. Shots rang from the roof and from the bushes. So our guy was hit twice. You know, Scott LaRock was hit twice, shot in his head twice. Bullets literally went past us. 
because he was on the, like I told you before, we were on the right-hand side of the street. He was in the passenger side. They were shooting from the left side. So bullets went through past all right, of us. to him. To him. No lies. Crazy. So this guy gave his life, you know, so I never want to just, when I, when I talk about him, I, you know, I want to talk about the importance of, like, Scott LaRock and the, the importance to me. He introduced me to music. He gave his life for me. And to this day, his son is like someone that I love, that I try my best to make sure he's always straight because that's what his dad did for me. How old is Scott LaRock Jr.? Scott LaRock Jr. is probably like 32 now. Oh, wow. 31, okay. 32. Because I always wanted to, I mean, I, I, that whole Scott LaRock Jr., my pride and joy. Pride I, and joy. I always wanted to know what had happened to him. Okay. No, he's awesome, man. We what, have, is, what does he do now? Like, He's producing music. He's been putting out, like, uh, um, putting out his compilations. You know, he... You know, just just recently, you know, we we got together, got him a new NPC. You know, I'm I want to do things with him that his dad did for me. That's dope. You know, like if you want to be involved in music, let's do it. Like here, use this gear. I have this. Come and get it. Let's make music. It's yours because that's what his dad. His dad gave me. It's almost like you have this this guardian angel that came into your life put all of these things in front of you and said, hey, do what you can with it. Like, I would not have known Red Alert. I wouldn't have known KRS for sure. He didn't even like me. <laughs> he, didn't even, he didn't even understand why Scott put me in the group. Matter of fact, to Wait, get back to the you original. you two weren't? No, Chris and I weren't. We Bickering brothers or like real like, I don't like that kid? For Chris, when I think about it now as an adult, Chris was probably angry with me because Scott lost his life. I was going to say, like, I know the guilt you you had to to internalize. Still. I I don't. How did you two deal with each other or talk with each other or after the fact? Or was it just a white elephant you guys never spoke of? And then like years later, it was like, I don't I don't want to call it a white elephant. Chris definitely treated me a certain kind of way. So I was in the group. One third member of BDP. Mm-hmm. We did a show. I made a third of the show. I left the group because Scott wanted to pretty much be my dad. Mm-hmm. And I didn't grow up with a father. I didn't grow up with my parents. So anyone trying to have like that parental role to me was an enemy. Like I didn't want that. I didn't want you telling me what to do. And thinking, looking back at it as, a, as an adult now and as a father, Man, this dude changed my life. All he wanted to do was make sure that I went to school. That's the only reason why I'm not on the Criminal Minded album cover was I didn't want to go to school. And Scott said to me, if you don't go to school, then you can't be in the group. And I said, fuck this group. I'm going to go sell drugs in the street and I'm going to be good. So that's the reason why I wasn't on the BDP first album album cover, like the Criminal Minded album cover. That's crazy because I was going to ask, what is a 15-year-old doing touring the world or touring the country yeah. with grown-ass men? Like, where were your parents? Now, no, there were no parents. I lived, I slept on the floor and slept in the living room on one sofa, and my, grand, my great-grandmother was on the other sofa, and my cousin, it was my cousin's apartment. So from the time I was like, 13 until my till 16 16 and a half when I got my first apartment well 17 when I got my first apartment I I you know that was what my life was so how do you attribute being because just by optics sake you look like to be a very involved father you have two girls right 
how do you two daughters? How do you think you became such a great father if you didn't really have to be the best parent that I didn't have? You know, like I wanted my kids and still want my kids to be better than than I am, and I want them to be great. And my kids inspire me, you know. And it was, I know it's directly related to the way I grew up. You know, I grew up. My dad growing up was Bill Cosby. In my mind, for a lot oh, of Mr. Us. Huxtables. Yeah, the Huxtables. Mm-hmm. Like seeing that was like I wanted that for my kids. I wanted my kids to have that experience. And I used to wear those ugly ass sweaters <laughs> all the time. I, you look at self destruction video. Yes. <laughs> an ugly yeah. ass Cosby sweater. So even though you have Cosby sweaters, <laughs> I had them joints, bro. Did you produce that? Self destruction. Yeah. Yes, I was um, eighteen when I produced self destruction. Okay, how many 1200s did you use? Because the beat switches every verse. So did you just punch, use, punch the sample in for no, every? No, no, I used a Publison. Remember that? No. So the Publison was um, a rack mount sampler that would just loop whatever you had, it would loop it. That was your weapon of choice? That was That's the weapon how you of made choice. Beat? So, yeah. so I used that in a SP-1200. Okay. So I'm sorry, SP-12, not even 1200. I used the 12. You were still using a 12 and 88? I was using a 12, and then the first time, the very first beat that I made with the 1200, I, I remember this because Keenan Ivory Wayans came to us and said, told Chris that he wanted to um, use BDP on um, the I'm Gonna Get You Sucker mm-hmm. project. And we were in, we were in, um, where's, where's Ali from? I'm, fuck, I'm drunk as shit. Ali. Please. Where's Ali from? Ali Shahid Muhammad? Or- Muhammad Ali. No, Muhammad Ali. Oh, uh, Kentucky. We were in Kentucky. Louisville, right? We were in Louisville, and I jumped on a plane to go back to New York, to go back to Sam Ash, bought the SB-1200, uh-huh. flew back on the road, and we were on tour with like Wait, Ice Wait, you team. personally went to go get the 1200? Uh, well, uh, yeah, we didn't have, we, I didn't know anything about FedEx and all that oh. <laughs> <laughs> I went to get this. I stayed at this hotel. Never forget this. God damn, I can't tell you everything, because I, <laughs> I remember staying at this particular hotel with someone's future wife, but we won't go there. We won't go there. Anyway, I remember picking up this SP 1200 and then going back on the road. And the first beat that I did on that SP 1200 was from a sample that I bought while I was in London. The Greedy G. And it was the Greedy G sample. And we used to, we used that sample and I put the, um, a sample of the drums you know the drums. Oh, um, Last night changed it all. Right, Esther Phillip. Yes. Yeah. Yep. With with the greedy G, and that was our show intro from that moment on. And then that ended up being a song that we did um, for um, uh, the Jack of Spades. For so, I'm gonna get you sucker. By the time you got to buy all means necessary, um, what was the digging process like? Like you produced my philosophy. My philosophy. So I want to be clear about this. I don't even want to say that I produced my philosophy. That beat is definitely my beat. Who found the samples? That's all me. There you go. Yeah, that was all me. I used to go to to um, a spot called Downtown Records in New York City, and I would go to the House of Oldies, and that's where I bought pretty much every record that I ever used to sample was between those two places. And um, and I remember being in downstairs, and it was always Big Daddy Kane. Biz was there. Biz was there all the time. So if you mm-hmm. found like a sample, if you had a little bit of money, you would buy every one of those records there. So that because Biz would buy the records. <laughs> so 
That's the only reason why Call Me D Nice isn't Call Me Bismarcky. <laughs> Seriously. Because I was smart enough when I found that sample, it was a compilation with the Turtles, with yeah. Flo and Eddie, on that compilation, and like Dayla had a beat off of that joint. When I found that, we also did So Steady B. Yeah, I was gonna oh, say, who Steady did the B? Steady B records? So that's, that's, I found that, I looped that. Chris, the, it was produced by KRS. Right. But I'm telling you right now that I found that. Saw them four joints off the Let the Hustle Play album. Let, 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 yes. Yeah, play. So with that album, no, it was the Battle of the Bands album. I know. I, okay. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Right. So with that album, I found those. I had I sampled all of that stuff and Call Me D Nice, which was crazy to me. Call me the lyrics for Call Me D Nice. Let, let's. I'm gonna put it out there right now. Half of the first verse was written by KRS. Okay. It was a song Chris had written for me when I was like 16. And then I wrote the rest of it, but I did it on like an old B-Boy records album, old B-Boy compilation. I had 12-inch. Yeah, and it was like super fast. Mm -hmm. I wanted everything fast. Yes, you did. Everything wanted, every record I sampled had to be like 120 <laughs> beats per minute. Like, I needed it You're fast. You're trying to get that house money, that hip-hop house hip money. Hip-house. <laughs> Him and but Doug Lazy. Even after I recorded the vocals, I had to speed up the tape, like make it faster. Damn. It's like it needs to be faster. It was just bad. Anyway, so um, those records... I, w I would sample the records and and send it to Chris, or not even send it, bring it to Chris on the tape. And at the time, I brought him, I brought him the beat for "I'm Still Number One," for my philosophy, mm -hmm. and the beat for "Call Me D Nice." And he heard the beat for "Call Me D Nice," and he said, "Ah, I don't like that." What? And then he took "I'm Still Number One." I had it faster, because right. you know the original samples. Slower. Yeah. Right. He slowed it down. I will give him that. He slowed it down. He was like, no, this is it, which ended up being, I mean, this is an incredible record. Yeah. You know, um, Call Me D-Nice, the only reason why I did that record was because I, after I did the beat and I played it for Chris, he didn't want it. The second person that I played the record for was Kid Rock. Oh, wow. I was going to say, you discovered him? Yes. I mean, he was already doing his thing, but he was like an opening act of one of our shows. And Kid know, Rock could have been in BDP. Kid Rock could have been in BDP. Man. <laughs> no, wow. it's Kid wow. not. That's it's down problem. with us. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Make America great again. It's down with us. <laughs> it's crazy. I have Kid Rock stories too. But, but anyway, so I played it for him, and I did Call Me D-Nice, the lyrics to the beat, because I wanted him to know how he could rhyme on it. Gotcha. So and I, and that's the only reason why I have like two versions of the song was because I did it for him. I was like, no, you can do it like this. And then when I listened back to it, it was like, wait, this is actually pretty fucking dope. <laughs> and um and yeah, man, and and ended up putting that out as my first single. Yeah. Well, so that was your first album. So how did when did you officially leave BDP? The time from you when you left to putting out your first solo record. So I don't think that I ever actually left BDP. I think KRS just had my music turned down extremely low at one show. And, and I was like, I guess I'm not in the group anymore. We, were, we did a show at the Palladium in L.A. And that was the moment that I realized um, like some things were going on. But the moment that I realized I wasn't in the group was his Sex and Violence album. And his yeah, because he had in the credits, on, on the like, credits, he these said, people are these not, people are not down with us. Yeah. And that's that was the moment that I realized that I'm no longer with the group. And honestly, I didn't do anything that would warrant that kind of like treatment. Like it wasn't like we were beefing. Yeah. 
it was because I was never a yes man. So half of the songs on like, not that I, you know, I don't personally think that I made a classic album as D-Nice because I was a little confused with who I was at the time. I was, you know, 18, 19 years old. All I wanted was women. I wanted some ass. <laughs> like, so my records reflected that. My name is D-Nice. I wanted them to know who I was. Chris was so prolific with his music and with his lyrics. And, and fucking motherfuckers up. And fucking motherfuckers up, you know? <laughs> and uh, Physically? Chris got a reputation. Oh, okay, yeah, cool. Chris has a reputation, okay, even in music, of being a little disrespectful. But a lot of, you know. Yeah. Oh, Pete. Oh, okay. But yeah. Prince. So, but with Chris, with, with that moment, I, you know, like I said, man, I didn't realize that I wasn't in the group until those records and until the Sex and Violence album. Because I, I'd done all of these records for BDP, which is so crazy because in that moment, the only reason why I put out my own record because I was on Jive. My deal was for $25,000 to make an album. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, Tribe signed for like a half or a quarter of a million at the time, I believe. Yeah. So they really never believed in me. And it's crazy because Barry Weiss is still like one of my friends now. And I see him and I get it. I get what it is. You want it, KRS. So I respect that. But we were never, like I never had one of those deals or people to actually believe in me. So even with Call Me D-Nice, I put Call Me D-Nice out myself. Mm. I went to the record, I went to Red Alert and had an acetate and asked him to play it and Red played it for Vinnie Brown, who's the program director. And that's how that record came out four or five months later was because I was just aggressive. Like I just believed in it, you know? And, um, you know, so I never really had those situations where people like really believed you know, had to like force every situation. So Not everybody wait, know you. When your next record, when you did to the rescue, how was it? Was it a little better than? And like, why? From the no. That video with twenty five to life was so right <laughs> drastic. <laughs> that was a drastic ass video. So twenty five to life. I mean, even though I love the song, it shouldn't have been my first single off of the second album coming off of what I was doing in terms of like calling yeah, it was nice a and crumbling shift. the table. It was, a total it was different. The problem was was record companies, you know, like in people that, that that was like the first song that I did in the studio. And that song wasn't even supposed to be a single. It was a song that I did because one of my closest friends at the time was in he was doing 25 to life. Mm-hmm. And he was the dude that when I was 16, he was a hustler dude, he took me to D.C. I was hustling with him in D.C. and Paradise Projects. Like I've seen all of this craziness by the time I was like 16 and 17 years old. And the song was really written about him as my way of saying like, not even saying thank you because it wasn't a thank you record. It was just like a story of like yeah. mm-hmm. what he went through. And, you know, and um, when I did the record, Jive immediately wanted to put it out. Wow. So it wasn't- Who shot that video? Um, Darnell Martin. She ended up being like, she directed a couple of movies. Yeah. With like the Mary J. Blige movie on BET. Oh. Yeah, she did all of that. She was like an NYU student. Oh, I thought you meant there was a Mary J. Blige movie of the week, like oh. of no, her no, life. No. <laughs> no, no, the movie with like Mary and Q-Tip. Oh, prison, prison song, prison, prison song. She directed that. Oh, like, wow. So she directed all of my videos. Wow. But yeah, yeah. yeah I always thought that was an odd choice for a singer. I mean, I thought it was dope. But no, but it was it definitely was, odd. Yeah, because I was like, man, well, just it was only one abruptly. verse. It was just one verse. It's abruptly and a hook. Yeah, it was one long verse. That video was one of the videos where like. You know, where my dad just happened to be in the room and then the, the gunshot thing happens and he, and he just looks at me like, this is that bullshit again. Right, right. <laughs> like he would always come in at choice moments where like, 
I'm like, Dad, hip hop's an art form, you know. And he's just looking like. And then the 25 to Life video. <laughs> it's so crazy because that was like my first number one MTV video. I think that was actually my only number one MTV video. Yeah. <laughs> the only one. I was like, it's not even. It wasn't even supposed to be a single. Nor the first person that Too Short did a song with on the East Coast was me. On that record. Uh. On that second album was a song called Check Yourself. Short and I were on tour and we were both signed to Jive. And Jive had this brilliant idea of like, no, you guys should make Putting records together. together right. But when you think about it, no, we shouldn't have made records together. That That's not who my audience was. My audience was people, Not no disrespect to Short's audience because Short is an amazing man. But at the time, coming from BDP, people probably expected a little bit more than what I actually gave them. But I was a, I was a fucking kid. I made records that kids would listen to. I was talking about chicks. <laughs> I wanted to be hot in the streets. You know, I was a dude that was selling drugs in D.C. and came back to New York, and I yeah. wanted to be respected by these dudes. So I made those records where KRS at the time, excuse me, a little hiccup because I'm drinking the Ciroc. It's Questlove juice. It's Jesus juice I'm having over here. But <laughs> it's water right there. Oh, is that no. water? Okay. That's for you. I need water. Wait, before I forget, real quick, because we got to wind it up. We're, you're definitely coming on because we didn't even get to talk about the White House. Yeah. Or, no, the second part of your life. No, no. I'm purposely leaving the other half of your life out just so we can have. No, for sure. Because you, you're coming back, right? You're going to be the, the, the Sandra Bernhardt of, of, <laughs> of Questlove Supreme just frequently. Uh, just make them say it on tape, on record. You're coming back, no, right? I, are you kidding? I'm trying to sit in on every interview you I have. want to hear yeah, Kid Rock stories. Yo, how did you convince Soul Train to let you perform Call Me D Nice live? Because. So, I never knew that was the your performance of that. When we finally went on Soul Train, I was like, "Yo, I'm gonna, we're going to do the same thing D Nice did. We'll, we'll make up a track as if it were live, and then we'll lip sing it, but it'll look live when it's on, you know, yes. on television." But we got that from watching you. So why didn't you just do the typical lip singing to your version? Like, so no one had done that at that point. You're right. And. When when I had the invitation to perform on Soul Train, I, was, I thought it, all these years I thought it was live. Mm-hmm. You know, kid, I thought yeah. everyone was doing it live. And and when some I of them were, break. some of them were, but really, you know, I didn't even know that. Uh, special episode, you know, Barry White, Brown. yeah, oh, yes. special people got the treatment, but it was costly for Don at the time to to do it back, you know, gear and all that stuff. So for the most part, it was lipstick. Well, when I when I performed, well, the night before the, or the day before. I, I couldn't believe that you couldn't do the, you couldn't perform live. I was like, this is insane. What are you talking about? I want to perform this record. So I booked the studio session. I went in. It was me, my buddy Tony Rasan, who lived at the shelter at the time in, with, with, in, at Franklin, but he ended up becoming like my partner in, in, the, in my management company. We went in the studio and I just did it live. Like I wanted to do, I wanted to feel the way I performed it. It was great. We did it. We did the whole go D nice, go D nice, go. Like, <laughs> Wait, that was you guys? Yes. <laughs> oh damn, yo, man! I was even because I was gonna say, yo, you, you. That was the most hype I've ever seen. Around. The audience was like, go D nice. Wait. So we did all of that in the studio. Went and the next day, gave him the track. I was performing it, and I was performing it like it was live. Yes. And Don Cornelius, he was like, wait, 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 stop, 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 stop. His mic is live. What's going on? Oh, he damn. literally stopped us, and I <laughs> fell out laughing. Like, no, dude, like we did this last night. And he said, 
Young blood, that's a good one. That's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> that was up. Oh man, man, that was great though. That's great. Well, Yo, I was did Tretch write "Time to Flow"? No, he, he didn't. didn't. No, they, no. KG produced it. KG but. produced "Time to Flow," and then I wrote my own verse, which okay. was actually a mistake though, man. I, I, you know what, man? Tretch was on fire at the time. I love that you asked me this, by the way. <laughs> Tretch was on extremely on fire, and we had been friends even before OPP, any of those records came out. And I watched, I was fascinated by Tretch. Like, I thought Tretch was, I watched J- Tretch battle Jay-Z mm. to where Jay got frustrated and threw the mic down and walked wow. off the stage. I'm not even lying to you. I've seen all of this. And Tretch was like an MC god to me. So when we had a chance to do... That was like my first feature ever outside of KRS. That was the first time I ever performed with another artist. But we happened to be real friends. Yeah. With me, Shaquem, Latifa, like those, they were my family. You know, I was a part of Flavor Unit and worked with Shaq, like and worked with Dana. Like so doing a record with Tretch was great. The problem that I had was in, in is that I was so fascinated and enamored by like my relationship with Tretch that I almost wanted to be that dude. Mm. And I didn't rhyme I didn't rhyme like myself. I wasn't me. That's what made me ask it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It sounded, I, I yeah. was, I wanted to rhyme like Tretch. I wanted to be like that was top level to me, and I wanted to be on his level instead of just being who I am. So there are some some mistakes that I had, man. That I actually I don't even wish I can change it because I wouldn't be where I'm right now had anything been different. Well, so. I, for the record, I always liked you as an MC. I, I always thought you were that. underrated as an MC, and you you always like your delivery was always really clean. Like your yeah. verse on self destruction and timeless. Was, yeah, like it was still works. Yeah, man. I always I always thought you were dope as an MC. My mom liked the sweater in the self destruction video. <laughs> So AJ Lester, 125th Street back in the day. <laughs> Derek, uh, we thank you for coming from the show. Uh, we're definitely going to have you back. To yeah, you. so we got to talk about That's the awesome. rebirth, to everything, yeah. the rebirth, and, and <laughs> Kid <cheese>. Rock stories. <laughs> yeah, Rock but story. thank you, man. I appreciate it. Appreciate uh, you, man. Give it up for great. Nice. Uh, just want to let you guys know. Um, you know, we rarely push our, our our social media, but you can follow Quest Love Supreme at. QLS. That's our Instagram and our Twitter at QLS. And when you go on Facebook, Questlove Supreme. And you can email us. Uh, this is something new for 2018. Yes. Yes. You can email us with with questions and comments and criticisms. All right. <laughs> and roll call help. Can't, can't wait for that. Anyway, we're gonna find. We're also gonna find love for Laia by February. Uh, hit us at mailbox. M A I L B O X. Whoa. <laughs> Spelling out mailbox for all you mailboxes yes. out there. Mailbox at questlovesupreme.com. I like the way you, you spell got, box. You guys got that? All right. So you can send all your hate to Melly Mailbox. <laughs> 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 so that said, on behalf of Questlove Supreme's Fontigolo, Unpaid in Boss Bill, Sugar Steve, It's Light Ear, and our guest D Nice. Who's coming back? Yes. Yes. Our, our return guest D Nice will be back. Uh, we'll see you on the next go round. It's Quest Love Supreme. Quest Love Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. This classic episode was produced by the team at Pandora. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards, like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast.